So today we're going to look at the fourth of the seven pillars. These are the seven pillars we've been studying of the church. Today we're going to look at the church is missional. The church is missional. And missional can best be defined as being active and intentionally focused on advancing the gospel outside the church. That's what we're looking to do, right? We believe that Christ is the only way to salvation. The gospel is a worthy message, the only message to proclaim, and that we would have a burden for the lost. If that is indeed the case, which we believe it is, if that is the case, right, then the gospel must go forth from the local church. The gospel must go forth from the local church. Now, we've talked about this, that these seven pillars are just seven truths regarding the church. It's never intended to be an exhaustive list. And we've studied the church is built upon Jesus Christ as Lord. We've looked at the church being built upon the Word of God. Last week we looked at the church is gospel proclaiming, but in addition to being gospel proclaiming, the church is missional. The church goes out. The church has a very specific purpose. Last week we looked at the Great Commission found in Matthew 28 verses 19 through 20. And we looked at when Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And we established very clearly from the Scripture that is the mission of the church. And I want to make a point on this. The mission of the church is not to be social. The mission of the church is not to solve all social ills. The mission of the church is not to cease suffering from occurring in the world. The mission of the church is not to become political. The mission of the church is not to be a bunch of nice people that enjoy each other's company. And we do this once a Sunday and nothing else comes. The mission of the church is to go into the world and proclaim the gospel. I asked the question last week, what does go mean? And the answer was, go means go. That's what we are to do. That is the purpose of the church. So when we speak of the church as being missional, we are taking the Great Commission outside of our gathering. That's what it means. We're going to take the message of the gospel and we're going to take it outside our gathering. And we're going to look at that today as to how far do we go to take that. And we're also going to be intentionally focused, right? That's also involved. So we go, we go outside our community, but we are intentional. We're deliberate. We have a mission. If you worked in companies for years now, you know the big thing was the mission statement. This is our mission statement. This is what we're going to do. And if you've ever been on a performance plan, right, where your boss gives you, here's your objectives, this is what you need to achieve in order to be 
successful in your job. And you take those things, right, and you apply them to yourself and you say, okay, this year I want to get a promotion, so I want to make sure I'm going to succeed in all of the following. Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, we do have a mission statement. That mission statement is found right there in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And therefore, we are to live our life intentionally focused on the advancing of the kingdom of God. That is our job. That is our responsibility. That order has been given to us by our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. And we do not have the liberty to say, I don't want to do it. This is something that we have been given. Now, I want to share something with you. That mission of the church really is twofold. It's really a twofold mission. Number one, first, we go out of our local gathering into our community. That's the first thing we do. And we'll talk about what that looks like. But we gather here on Sunday. On Sunday, there's a purpose, right? We're learning. We're, we're, we're dividing the Word of God. We're coming to a place where we're beginning to understand the Word of God. Why? What's the purpose? Just to have head knowledge? No. The purpose is that we have heart knowledge. The purpose is that we're going to take what we learn and we're going we're to give it out. We're going to take it and we're going to break it. And we're going to give it out like Jesus gave out the five loaves and the two fish. And we do so in our local community. Now, local community means our local geographic, but it also means our network, our community of people that we're involved with. So that's number one. We're going to go and we're going to take it locally. But there's a second point. And second, we support ministries and we support missions on the front line that proclaim a true gospel message. The local church, in doing that, the local church can contribute to advancing the gospel globally. I want to tell you something about our church. We advance the gospel globally. We're doing that. And, and, and we are bringing the gospel out further and further, reaching places that 30, 40 years ago would not even be available to us to be able to reach. Now, if you go on our website, under this pillar, the church is missional, you'll read this definition. Being gospel proclaiming, we believe it's God's will for the church to support the spread of the gospel in all parts of the world. We are intentional regarding supporting the spread of the gospel and making disciples across the world. Hence, in the church, we support ministries and missionaries who are making an impact with the gospel. And our mission focuses on supporting local, national, and global ministries. That's how we define this for us as a church. By the way, if now we're up to the fourth pillar, if you haven't gotten the idea, right, we're talking about what is the church intended to be like? What are we intended to be like? So to look at this, I chose as my text Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look primarily at verses 6 through 8. So 
Open your Bibles, turn those pages to Acts chapter 6, uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And I want to make a point that being missional is not, is not a program. Rather, it is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. Acts chapter 1 beginning with verse 6. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now there's a little bit of background we need to have to this text, right? Our Lord's time for His ascension to heaven had come. Our Lord had spent 40 days after the resurrection, bearing witness and giving testimony of His resurrection. And... The disciples had seen it. Paul tells us that the Lord had appeared to over 500 people. As a matter of fact, when Paul writes this, he says, many of whom are alive until this day. And we know some of them, right? We know the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus to whom the Lord appeared. We know he appeared to Mary, uh, uh, Mary Magdalene. We know he appeared to the Twelve. And apparently there were others. So what is happening? Forty days have passed. The Lord is going to ascend to heaven, and he gives final instructions. Look at verse 6. And it says, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, the disciples, right, they didn't have total and complete revelation, right? So, what they're saying is, Lord, you're, you're alive. You're obviously alive. You're obviously risen. You've defeated death. You are the Messiah. Therefore, is it now, Lord, that you are going to set up that messianic, eternal kingdom where Messiah shall rule Israel and shall rule the nations? They went straight to the ending of the story. And he said, Lord, is it now? And by the way, that's a logical conclusion. I would have said that too, considering everything that they had borne witness to, right? But they didn't understand God's plan. And as a result, they didn't know that there was more work that needed to be done, that God's plan was not there yet, and that the Holy Spirit had to come, and that the church had to be birthed. And the advancement of the gospel had to go into all corners of the world. And notice Jesus' response in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times of the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Our Lord responds that they do not need to know the exact time of his plan. Pretty amazing. You don't have to know the exact time. By the way, we don't know the exact time. 
And by the way, beware of these people who tell you what the exact time is. Oh, the Lord's coming, you know, on this date and that day. Many churches and many groups have said Jesus is returning. Some say he returned and he's, you know, he's sitting somewhere yet to be revealed. Some, some of them have gone so far that people sold their homes, and waited up on mountains for Jesus to return, of which he never did. But as desirous as they were for the kingdom of the Messiah to come to fruition, God had a plan. And they were in the middle, they were in the midst of that plan. And God's plan would be fulfilled precisely the way God said it was. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. And that is still true today. The secret things belong to the Lord. But we are responsible, we are accountable for what has been revealed to us. Amen? We can't just take the revelation of God and go, oh, I don't want to do that, or take the revelation of God and go, that's way too difficult for me, or take the revelation of God and ignore it. We are accountable. We are responsible. And this is something that we should remember ourselves. We hear many people talk about, oh boy, I just wish that Jesus would come already. Just come and get it over with. And really, honestly, what they mean is they don't want to be bothered with the inconvenience of trials and tribulations and waiting for the Lord. It's just, Lord, I'm okay now, man. I don't want to, I don't want to see this get any worse. Take me straight to heaven. It's funny, they want to see Jesus, but you don't see many of them say, I wish I would die so I don't have to go through the inconvenience of this. But we need to know that God has a plan. The world's going nuts right now. We see all this going on with Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah and the Middle East once again is a cauldron and it's, it's boiling over. I get asked a lot of questions, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? Is Jesus coming? And I tell people, yeah, Jesus is coming. What do you want me to tell you? Jesus is not coming? But here's the deal. The issue isn't is Jesus coming. The issue is, are you ready? Are you ready? That's the question. When he comes, will he find you faithful? Or when he comes, you'll be found unfaithful and should that be the case that will not be a happy day will not be a happy day by far we need to be encouraged constantly by god's sovereign will even the lord jesus right here encourages them hey it's not for you to worry about you don't have to be concerned. You don't need to know the signs. What you need to do is rest. You need Psalm 46:10. Be still. 
Cease striving and know that I am God. Now we get to the crux. As one continuous thought from verse 7 into verse 8, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. So it doesn't end there. Verse 8 is a continuation of that thought. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. I want to begin right here with the first statement. You shall receive power. Our Lord tells the disciples, but not any kind of ordinary power. That power is going to come when the person of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit is going to fall. The Holy Spirit is going to descend. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. He is going to immerse them. He is going to baptize them in power. And that word is a word we've seen time and we've studied it time and time again. It's the Greek word dunamis. And the Greek word dunamis is the ability to perform, but the best way to think about it, it is power through God's ability. It is power through God's ability. The Holy Spirit is, the person of the Holy Spirit is the enabling power of God. And that power is going to descend upon these disciples. Now think about it for a moment. They had already seen the healing power of Christ. There wasn't a disease that Christ could not heal. They had seen Christ's power over nature by just speaking to the storm and calming the storm and saying, shut up, storm. They had seen his, his power over Satan. They had seen the trans, some of them had seen the transfiguration power on the mount. They had obviously seen by this point his power over death, his resurrection power. So they've, they've seen tremendous power. But now the Lord says something different is going to happen. God is going to immerse you. God is going to baptize you in His power through the person of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling presence. And our Lord was speaking specifically of the day of Pentecost that was about to come. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 2 Verses 2 and 4 capture this perfectly. Acts chapter 2. It reads as follows, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were uh, sitting. This is the upper room. The Spirit of God first comes, and it's preceded by this violent sound, this rushing wind. It fills the whole house. And then verse 4 tells us, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues 
as the Spirit was giving them utterance. They were filled with the Spirit of God. They spoke in languages they did not even know. They spoke in other earthly languages to the point that everybody was perplexed. They thought they were drunk and going, what is going on here? Here's a great scene of revival. My goodness, the church of Jesus Christ is birthed in revival power. In revival power. And notice the words the Lord uses there. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is what Jesus was referring to when he states the Holy Spirit was to come. Understanding that the Holy Spirit's nature is, is crucial. It's crucial to what the disciples had to do. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that the Lord didn't say to Peter, Peter, you know, you're really a, a strong guy and you can handle this on your own. We like to say in this day and age, God doesn't give you more than you can carry. Is that really true? I don't think so. I've seen people who have had to endure much more than what they can carry. But in order for the church to advance, in order for the gospel to advance, it takes and it took a genuine, authentic, spontaneous move of God. These 11 men would have to be transformed in order to advance the gospel and take the gospel far and wide into the world. And so we see here that our Lord is talking about something very specific. Now, it's critical for us to understand the person of the Holy Spirit. This is essential. We need to understand. And to understand the person of the Holy Spirit, we have to understand the triune God. Now, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Scriptures speak of a triune God. A God in three persons. One Godhead, three persons. The great hymn, Holy, 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 we sing, captures this so well. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Right? And to see this, <clears throat> all we have to do is go back to Genesis. I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. Genesis 1.26 When God is about to create man, the Scriptures record this. Then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And we know he's not speaking to angels because man is not created in the likeness of angels. And we know he's not speaking to the animals. So who is he speaking to? It's the plurality of the Godhead. Genesis 3.22 says this, Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So people challenge this idea that the Holy Spirit is not God. And they suggest that the Holy Spirit may be some kind of impersonal force, some kind of impersonal 
power, controlled by God, but not entirely a person himself. And yet the Spirit is integral to everything God is described as doing in the Bible. For example, the Spirit of God was present and involved in creation. Genesis 1-2 tells us that. Psalm 33-5 tells us that. The Holy Spirit moved the prophets of God with the words of God. 2 Peter 1.21 tells us that. The bodies of those, uh, of those in Christ, our bodies are described as temples of God. Amen. Temples of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in believers. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers. We see that in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Jesus was clear that to be born again, one must be born of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. And we see that in John 3, 5. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as a person, not a force. How do we know? The Holy Spirit can be grieved, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.30. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 tells us. He uses his mind to search the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.10. And he has fellowship with believers, 2 Corinthians 13.14. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is a person, just as the Father and the Son are persons. Now, we established that. Now we talk about the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. God's enabling power will come upon you. Disciples, apostles, you're going to do amazing things, not because you're amazing people, but you will do amazing things because an amazing God has given you amazing supernatural power to accomplish these things. So it's going to come upon the disciples, and it's going to disrupt their life. Very interesting thing about the disciples. You often hear that all except John died martyred lives. That's a, a true statement. But let me share something about the Apostle John. You know that he was exiled to the island of Patmos, right? You know why he was exiled to the island of Patmos? He was exiled to the island of Patmos because they tried to kill him. And they threw him in a vat of boiling oil. And when they threw him in, nothing happened. So what do you do with a guy you're trying to kill and doesn't die? Well, there's another way to get rid of him. Put him on a boat and send him to a rocky island. He suffered for the cause of the gospel. And every one of the disciples, every one of the apostles died a martyr's death. They died a martyr's death. They were willing to let this life go and die for the sake of the gospel. Well, where did this power come? This is just innate courage of themselves? No, it was given to them by the Holy Spirit. And it is this power that will form the church and it will take the gospel out of Jerusalem. 
And the Holy Spirit will descend and baptize the disciples. It will immerse them in the power and in the person of the Holy Spirit. And they will go on and speak with great authority and great power. And many will come to faith in Christ. That's what's going to happen. And we know that's exactly what happened. Just, just from history alone, we know that happened. The divine authority that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke with will be passed on to the apostles. They will speak with that authority. The miracles that the Lord performed would be passed on to the apostles. They would perform miracles. The validation of the gospel will be passed on to the apostles. But this came with a responsibility. And the responsibility was to advance the gospel forward. Matter of fact, Jesus uses the term right here in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses. The power of the indwelling Holy Spirit enables these apostles to become witnesses for Jesus Christ. Not merely eyewitnesses. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. But those willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. As a matter of fact, our Lord uses a word here for witness in the Greek, martus, which speaks of an eyewitness or someone who has proved that what they had seen is genuine, how do they prove it? By giving their lives. It's used three times in Scripture in three different places. One of the places is speaking of Stephen's martyrdom, Acts 22.20. And it uses this word here in Acts 22.20, and when the blood of thy witness, Stephen, there's that word, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the cloaks of those who were slaying them. Revelation 2.13 uses this same word. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, someone who was martyred for the faith of Jesus Christ. Revelation 17.6 uses this word. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And I saw her and I wondered greatly. Through the indwelling Holy Spirit, the apostles were compelled, they were compelled to share and advance the gospel into the world. Now, what's that have to do with us? Well, here it is. Likewise, likewise, believers are to have the same compulsion. Did you hear that? Believers are to have the same compulsion. And our purpose is to share the gospel and to push, to advance the gospel into the world. And in Acts 1.8, the Lord says, you're to do this both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the world. 
Let's look at this just a little bit more in detail. Jerusalem, the birthplace of the church, the city of God, the place of the temple. This is where they were gathered, and this is where they were located. In Jerusalem, it is where the Holy Spirit will descend on Pentecost. And it is in Jerusalem where Peter will preach and thousands will get saved. It is where they will begin coming together to break bread, to take their meals together with gladness, helping one another, and fellowshiping, fellowshipping with one another. Jerusalem is ground zero for the church. But that was not sufficient. The Lord didn't say all Christians should be located in Jerusalem. You just, you just stay there. You hang out together. You just have a good time because you know me. The Lord said it's to go from Jerusalem to Judea. And Judea is the outer parts of Jerusalem. Judea was the wilderness part of Israel. And the gospel was also to go there. And it didn't end there. The gospel is to go into Samaria. Oh my goodness, Samaria. What do Jews have to do with Samaritans? Into an area of such hatred and divisiveness where the uh, Samaritans were despised. They were considered half-breeds because they intermarried with the pagans' cultures that was around them. And they were despised by the Jews. And now they are to go and preach the gospel into Samaria. As a matter of fact, when they go to Samaria, a great revival occurs in Samaria. But still, not far enough. The Lord says, take the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth the gospel is to go deep and the gospel is to go wide even to those who have never heard the name of christ now we talk about the church being missional how does that relate to us well much like the first church we still have that same mandate to take that gospel far and wide into the world that has never, ever ceased. So if you look at Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, would be our local community where we are known and where we live. This local Jerusalem, this is our local Jerusalem for our church. And there's a local Jerusalem for every one of us. I mentioned earlier your respective networks of people. People whom you have earned the right to speak to. That's your Jerusalem. We have one for the church. We have one for ourselves. And our responsibility in that Jerusalem is to make the gospel known. To proclaim Christ in the glorious gospel of grace. And so the first question we need to ask us, each and every one of us, are we faithful in that? Are we faithful in that? Our Judea goes beyond our local immediate community. We as a local church are to push 
the gospel further. And now we have means to do that, right? We leverage technology to be able to do that. So one example we do that is with the power of the cross radio broadcast, right? We are able to reach a demographic of about a million people just by taking advantage of the gospel. And a lot of people would say, well, you know, what's the purpose? What's the result? The results are up to God. That's who they're up to. But you know what? We're not sitting here and being idle. Let's take the Word of God. Let's push the Word of God. Let's push it out. So now we extend beyond East Orlando. We extend to Metropolitan Orlando. We extend all the way up to uh, 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 St. Augustine and almost to Tampa and down south as far as Stewart, Florida is concerned. So we push the gospel out. We push the God. I don't know. I have this thing about, you know, one day when we're in the courts of heaven, you know, I, I really do. I have this thing where I'm going to be walking down the street of heaven. Some guy's going to come up and say, hey, are you that guy that used to be in Orlando with the Brooklyn accent I used to listen to on WTLN? I got saved because of that. I don't know. What is God doing? But our Judea is to take our gospel and push it out. Push it out further from our local networks. Our Samaria is to take the gospel even to those who traditionally don't know the gospel. I'm confident that we have those in our network who are against the gospel, against the church, but we are to still pursue them with the gospel. Probably going to find in there people who hate the gospel. And they're going to have the negative reaction to the gospel. And then lastly, we are, support, we are to support the spread of the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. Again, this is where we leverage technology. This is where the ministry of sermon audio helps us share that gospel to the most remotest parts of the world. I am shocked the many times that I go on my dashboarded sermon audio and I see that our messages are being heard in China, in Entria, in Yemen, in Cambodia, in Thailand. I mean, you name a country. There were actually countries there I didn't even know they were that, that they were countries. That the Lord takes this and advances it. But that's not sufficient in and of itself. Because in order to do that, we need to support organizations and people who make it their sole purpose to go to these faraway nations and bring the gospel. We cannot just be hoarders of the gospel. That, my friend, is sinful. If we sit here and we think of all the good things God has blessed us with, and we say, oh, I thank the Lord, I have a great job. I thank the Lord, I have a good home. I thank the Lord, I have a great car. I thank the Lord for this. I thank the Lord for that. But we are 
not moving forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then, friend, we're sitting against the Lord. And we're sinning against that great commandment. Jim Elliott was an American missionary to a remote tribe of Indians in Ecuador. He was killed on January 8th, 1957 by the very people he sought to reach with the gospel. Isn't that amazing? He made contact with them and he was later killed by them. After his death, they found notes that Jim Elliott had written to himself. His kind of like personal diary, his personal notes. One such note read, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott had a higher view of the gospel and its worth. And today he is with the Lord in glory because of his faithfulness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not meant to be kept to, to ourselves. We are not the ones that are supposed to say, well, I'm saved. Everybody go find their own salvation. We have friends. We have relatives. We have family. We have neighbors. People whom we love. People whom we're fond of that I guarantee you have no knowledge of the gospel whatsoever. You don't have to go to remote jungles of Ecuador or to Africa to find someone who never heard the gospel. They're sitting next door to you. What do we do with that? This isn't, this isn't a guilt trip here. I'm not laying on a guilt trip. I'm trying to tell you why the church is missional and why the charter of our church is that we should be missional. But we have a responsibility. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us to go into the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. When you come here, we're making disciples. We're teaching the word. We're trying to build you up in the most holy faith so that what? So that you would be able to go out and share that gospel with someone else. And I know whenever we talk about sharing the gospel, I know this, I know this. Everybody thinks it consists merely of this. Hey, here's a track. You want to read it? Can I talk to you about Jesus? And then, of course, the fear of man enters us, and we go, I don't want to be rejected. That person's going to think I'm an idiot. I don't want to do that. But how many people have you sat with People of whom you've earned the right to speak. People of whom that we are respected. People of whom would give us an ear. We've not taken advantage of the opportunity to share Jesus Christ. How many times have you felt the leading of the Holy Spirit? Speak to Him. Speak to Him. Speak to Him. And we repress it because we're so afraid that we're going to get rejected. There was another note they found on Jim Elliott. This is a little bit lengthier, but I want to read it to you. And I really want you to, to listen to what he said. We are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace. While we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with, 
But we are harmless and therefore unharmed. We are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. Meekness must be had for contact with men, but brass, outspoken boldness is required to take part in the comradeship of the cross. We are sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. Calvary, my prayer is, oh, that God would make us dangerous. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. We must support missions and missionaries on the front line with the gospel. We must be bold to share the gospel with those with whom we come in contact. And the question today is, what will our response be? What is our response? You know, there are several people that I want, as a church, to undertake them because they're out there on the fringes bringing the gospel. One of them is Matt Hanover in Cambodia. He came here, he preached here in March. Matt lives two hours outside of Phnom Penh. Matt has six children. He and his six children are in Cambodia. The next nearest Christian is an hour and a half away. An hour and a half away. It took him two years to learn the Cambodian language. He spent two years learning it, and now he lives among the Cambodian people. He is the only non-Cambodian living among them. By the way, in a communist nation. I see Matt at least two or three times a day, a week, on, um, on our prayer group on Sermon Audio. And he cries literal tears for the Cambodian people. He's worthy of our support. He's worthy for us. Another ones are friends of mine, Mike and Rocky Bean in Guatemala. They don't live in the city of Guatemala. They live four hours outside the city in the mountains among the indigenous people of Guatemala. They've been there for 20 years. Mike has, they have tried to kill Mike over 20 times. He has had a gun cocked to his head. He had a machete to his neck. The guy said he was going to kill him, and right before he killed, he said he was going to kill him, he was going to rape his wife and his daughters in front of him. Mike shared the gospel of Jesus Christ to him, thinking this is the last thing I'll ever share. The guy threw down the machete, ran out of the house. Mike went after him. He got saved. The cartels trafficking drug, drugs through Guatemala into Mexico have threatened to kill him on multiple times. The leader of the cartel group 
who said, you're, we're going to kill you. You're, you're about as good as dead. Got saved and is now planting a church in another village. These people are people that have taken the gospel and gone far and wide, and they're deserving of our support. And as far as organizations are concerned, Sermon Audio, who publishes true gospel preaching messages worldwide, is branching out even further with the gospel using AI technologies now to translate any English gospel into multiple foreign languages so that other people can hear it. They're an organization that's worthy of our support. Every time we support them, we, our local body, reaches the remotest parts of the earth. And in doing so, we become a church that is intentionally focused on reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of that doesn't require our effort. It requires our giving. But the challenge still comes down to us as individuals. We have resources there in the back. We have tracks. We have materials. We've always had them. And we're going to continue to have them. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is if you go out to dinner, you go out for a lunch, is to take one of those tracks and when you pay your bill, put it in the little billfold thing or leave it on the table for the person to read. Simple stuff. Right? When the person calls you an idiot, you're not even there. So you don't have to worry about the fear of man. Right? Sometimes you say... I don't know what to say. What do I tell them? Well, you give them the track that tells them everything you need to tell them. Sometimes the greatest testimony is, let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you what Christ has done in my life. Let me tell you the person I used to be and the person who Christ has made me. And just use the Word of God. And let me share something with you. Respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You will know. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will know. You will know when the Spirit of God is compelling you to speak to that man or to speak to that woman or to speak to that youngster. When the Spirit of God will come up and rise up within you. Respond. 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 We as a church are missional. We're gospel proclaiming. We're built upon the Word of God. And above all things, above all things, this church is built upon the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if we say we're built upon the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then we will do what Jesus has called us to do. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.